All right, Fern and I are back. Best hour of their day. Fern, did you run Murph at your box? We did. We ran it on Saturday. Traditionally, we've tried to do it on Saturday because I like to give the staff the day off from World Day. Wow, a day off in the CrossFit world. You know, there was two years, I think, maybe three, where we were, I think I said this on a previous episode, where we were open 365 days, including all eight days of Hanukkah. That's a big deal. I like try to take off for Hanukkah, even though I am not Jewish. So <laughs> I like to celebrate other people's holidays. No, I, um, the, I get a lot of pushback from this from the staff, but I am usually the first one to suggest closing the gym. You know, that could be an entire episode on when to close. Cause yeah, we were open on, here's the deal. If you're open, people will show up. For sure. Uh, However, I look at it this way. If you close on some holidays, you're still going to be open something to the tune of 350 days a year. Yeah, I would probably say, like, even if you close on every major holiday, how many is that? Ten? I mean, depending on what you're classifying, like, are we classifying uh, Labor Day as a holiday, you know, Valentine's Day? From a standpoint of like when I had a regular job, I would try to take every possible holiday there was, you know, like Columbus Day, which is now what day is like, we can't call it Columbus Day anymore. But like, I mean, literally any excuse to not go to work, I would be like, it's a holiday. It's Hanukkah. They're like, you're not Jewish. Yeah, but I have Jewish friends. It's fine. Do you really need to take all eight days off? Um, So that's cool. That's cool that you ran on Saturday. I was upset. Our box also ran on Saturday and I was working this weekend. So. Did you do it yesterday? You know what? I did it yesterday, and I did it again without a vest. I know people, you know, if you listen to my episode, it was all about what's the right way to do it. For me, when I throw that vest on, it just simply means I'm about to go significantly slower. You know, it's like, it's not as enjoyable. And granted, I get it. It's about, you know. You did it in 32 minutes, I think? It, you know, it was like 32 and change. Um, That's only seven minutes faster than I saw Austin did it with a vest on. <laughs> you know, hey, I did it. I'm a slow runner. I, I just look at it like this. If I can do eight minute, eight minute miles, then you get like 18, 19 minutes in the middle there. I do it Cindy style. I go hard, go fast. It's all about uh, that tradition of doing it. So I was glad I did it. But, you know, great kind of tangent off of that is going to be today's topic and that's how many people should we be having in classes and I, and I think we can distinguish Murph you know or a, a special workout like that as it's a holiday I saw some boxes our buddies Jen and Andrew from CrossFit to Abor had 115 people show up at their box I don't know what our number was at our gym but we've had I can run 50 people at a time at our gym. I've got 50 slots to do pull-up bars. And we've, we've definitely had above 150 do it on numerous years. I don't know what the number was this year, but uh, I can for sure tell you it was over 100. So with, with that being said, again, Murph is a special workout. Maybe you do uh, you know a New Year's Day Fran. You do some special workouts and you kind of expect that they're going to be extremely crowded but let, let's talk about your normal day your mondays through fridays your 5 a.m your you know 3 p.m classes 
people want to know what the ideal class size is, how do we start to place some parameters around that? Yeah, so there's some, I think there's some pretty simple kind of metrics to use to this. However, I do think it's important to distinguish or acknowledge that this discussion is, is had kind of looking through two lenses. One is like, what is ideal? And then the other one is like, what is practical? And what I mean by that is if you are a gym owner and you're trying to make money and run a good business, limiting class sizes might not be in your best interest financially. However, there are some things that you can do to try to mitigate like class size and getting instruction on people. So I do want to acknowledge that first. I don't want people to think you're like, well, Hey, you can't have more than 15 people and somebody's going to be like, dude, I'm trying to run a business and pay myself. Like that's not going to fly. Well, and that's important because at almost every level two, I coach at, you know, I was at one this past weekend, you open the eyes of these trainers to show, wow, you know, you, you need to get better at seeing and correcting. I mean, we, we coach at level twos often, you and I, there's six criteria to become an effective coach and seeing and correcting is often where the biggest disconnect is for, for coaches. And then they respond and they're like, well, how am I supposed to get better at that? My classes that I coach have 20 or 30 people. And like you just said, you know, the answer to that is open your own box if, if you want to change it. Cause as a business owner myself, and as you running boxes, yeah, I don't want to turn away members, but let's talk about how we can establish what your ideal size is for you. But then like you just said, how can we mitigate that and make sure the business is still successful? You just said something that brought up, I was working with Steve Haydock in Nashville this weekend. Who I need to have on, who we need to have on the show, by the way. He's scheduled. But, he's, he's, yeah, he's on the, on the calendar. Yeah. He, one of the participants was there and this person is considering buying into this box at which point I convinced them not to. They said that the only person at his gym that didn't work out in the class when they were coaching was the owner. Wait, now, meaning- hold, hold on, hold on. Yeah, it gets better. <laughs> it gets better. Yes, the answer to your question was yes, but it gets better. He said their metric for not working out in the class was if they had 15 people in the class, to which point my response was, most people can't effectively coach 15 people, which means they probably should have just worked out with the class anyway. Like there was probably no difference between what was going on other than maybe a safety observer. So before we get into how many people you have in your class, let's first establish that you should not be working out with your classes. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because I also have a good friend down here and she was dating someone who coached at a box. And similar to that, they were allowed to work out with class and she got, they got into this huge fight over it. Cause she's a coach here. He's a coach there. And like you said, like you should not be working out with class. And she realized that. And I was like, look, I agree with you, but I also don't think you should have a huge fight with your significant other over this. Just move on. Like let them do what they do. But yeah, if, I mean, at that point you're basically doing aerobics. And yeah, it's their people are not paying for a service at that point. Like they're just literally paying for open gym. So you might as well just run open gym, reduce your overhead by not paying somebody to work out in a class and then 
move on with your day. Like that's it's a different business model. And I'm not going to hate on anybody who's going to do that. But that's, a, that's just a weird circumstance where like that there's, there's no value being added there. And from a business standpoint, it's just not ideal either. So back in the day, I think it was like 2008, I was working with coach Ripito traveling the country. We went to a box in Kentucky. I want to say it was CrossFit Kentucky and it was beautiful, like a global gym, but for CrossFit, right? They had everything turf. And you know, this is back then when you couldn't get this stuff as easily as you can now, but their model was open gym. So there was never a coach on. It was like going to a global gym. They had a workout. They had whiteboards and stopwatches. And, you know, they kind of had like someone supervising the floor, but no one was actually coaching. And I thought to myself, that's a unique model. And I'm pretty sure they're closed now. So I don't think that worked out too well. Um, well, there are some models that do that. I think uh, OPEX gyms are largely based on that model because it's individualized programming. But we're getting ready to add open gym to people's memberships but it's not going to be an open gym facility meaning like whatever membership you have you get full time uh if the gym's open you can go in and do open gym now we have the space for it so that's a big factor um but it's a, I, I do think long term it's a retention tool because some people can't make class times or they want to do other things and it gives you an opportunity to upsell personalized programming because they can come in and do that programming whenever it's convenient for them. You know, you have to have a coach on the floor for that. Well, that could be a whole nother topic, whether or not, and I think we should, I think we should talk about that in the future because people have asked us about it. When, when is it okay to have open gym? Who should be allowed to open gym? How often should, should you have it? But let's, let's dive back into class sizes. So I think there's a couple things you have to look at. Number one, equipment Two. Space three coaching experience. We'll just use, we'll make it super simple. Three things on there that I need to take into account with regard to class size. Now, if you want just a general metric for like what should the ratio of coach to athlete be, I would tell you a good coach can effectively run a class time, uh, timeline lesson plan and see and correct while having people have a good time something between 15 to 20 athletes, 15 being difficult, 20 being extremely experienced and has a lot of time under their belt in large classes. Um, for most other people, once you get above 10, the coaching effectiveness drops dramatically. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know, so for example, this past weekend at the level two in Miami, we had 15 participants. I coached the day one workout and it, it's challenging. I mean, it, you know, and, and we'll throw on top of that in those scenarios, I'm dealing with all new athletes where you're at your typical, you know, your local box, you know, some of the people, it's a little easier to understand what they're going to need in that workout. But yeah, there's, when there's 15 people on the floor and depending on the movements, I mean, for me this past weekend, it was push jerk and rowing. So one of the movements was, okay, get on the rower, not such a big deal, but I had to be aware of how much they were moving overhead, where they were dropping the bar. So you say it's equipment, space, and experience. What order would you put that in? I mean, it, there's, there's kind of two orders, right? There's the order which is obvious. You can only handle enough people based on the space. You have 400 yeah. square feet, doesn't matter how good of a coach you are, you can only 
fit this many people. Same with equipment. But would you say that what's most important, equipment, space, or experience? Well, I think just that, like you said, that inherent just limiting factor is space. Like I can't fit 10 people into a certain size space or I can't fit, you know, 30 people into a certain size space. Um, the flip side of that is just because you could fit 30 doesn't necessarily mean that you should, right? So, and, and there's a lot of ways to navigate this scenario. But the first one I would, the obvious is space, right? It's like how many, how, how much from a safety standpoint can I put people in this square footage? So how do you determine that? <clears throat> um, I think you have to look at like if, if so I, you, what you probably have to do is lay out some equipment. So you'd have, probably have to look at laying out some barbells. If I was going to have a barbell workout, you know, pick, pick a bar, you know, pick any, doesn't matter what it is, a barbell and some gymnastics movement, right? So I've got a barbell and a pull up or barbell and muscle up or whatever it is. Lay that out. You know, you don't even have to like, you don't even physically have to go into the space. You can just do a diagram on a piece of paper. And what you're probably looking for is something between six to eight feet between barbells from a safety standpoint. Um, and then you can get a, a pretty rough idea of how many people you can have in a class. And that can change depending on what the workout is too, by the way, right? So if it's a, if it's a barbell, a rower, and a box, like that significantly increased the square footage required for one person to do a workout. So the first one is obviously how much space do you have? The second one um, is equipment, and we can kind of cut this in half. You can say equipment slash programming, and I put programming in there because programming allows you to get creative with how you lay out the space, right? So, or, go ahead. Well, this brings up a whole lot of topics, and you know, we're talking about class size, but really, what we're also kind of saying is it's dependent on your equipment and spacing. So for example, you, you know, let's take, um, seven minutes of burpees, right? The, the open workout, you're only limited by, you know, the size of every individual in your gym. But right. like you're saying, let's assume most CrossFit workouts have a barbell and then a gymnastics component versus spike on bad where I need, you know, four or five pieces of equipment, depending on how you set it up. Should that be, should it be set in stone or are you saying you should alter your class size daily? You know, and then overall is, is the umbrella to all this, how many can you handle as a coach? No, I don't know. I don't know if you would alter from a practical standpoint, I would not alternate. I would not alter your class size on a daily basis. In that scenario, what you need to do is figure out like what's the max number of athletes that I can fit in the space based on square footage and the equipment that I have. And then what I'm going to look at is two things. What's the experience of a coach in the class? I can't necessarily fix that today. What I probably can fix today is the programming. So if you have a tight space, for instance, I'm not going to set up five station Metcons because that's a nightmare. It's a nightmare to coach even if you had tons of space. But now it's a logistical nightmare because there's too much equipment on the floor. Nobody can transition safely. Uh, I can't maneuver the space as a coach, more importantly. Like if I can't get across the room to work with somebody, like that's a big deal. So you can play around with your programming to facilitate an effective coach. You know, so like we've, we've laid out our gym where the coach can literally walk a straight line and get to everybody. Yeah. He never has to deviate. So this kind of goes back into like UPS does this where they, 
where they have maximized their routes to minimize the number of left-hand turns. Most people don't know that, but that's why they're so efficient. So all their routes are built around not turning left because when I turn left, I'm in, inevitably going to have to wait for a light. So from a coaching standpoint, once you figure out what that number is, now I want to try to be as efficient as possible and lay out my, lay out my equipment logistically so that I can get to people efficiently. Because you can have the right number of athletes, but not be able to get to people, which renders you ineffective. Okay, again, you know, the beauty of all this that we discuss on this show is that there's so many levels to it. And, you know, we're talking about layout of equipment, which is an entirely different episode versus programming. Because here, here's my follow-up to that. If a lot of people aren't doing their own programming these days, they're purchasing it elsewhere. You know, we've had Pat Barber on, we've had Austin Maliolo on, We've had MDV from, you know, NC Fit, all from different companies out there, and they're all putting out programming. How do you effectively implement that? Because I agree with you. When I owned my last box, CrossFit Soulshine, I planned to have 16-person classes. Mm -hmm. And in order to have 16-person classes, some things that I did were I purchased eight rowers and eight bikes. Now, you just heard me say 16, but I knew whenever I programmed rowers or bikes, it had to be set in such a way that it wouldn't interfere with each other. So that means either two heats, it means, you know, you go, I go type of workouts. It means a Jackie style workout where after you hit your 1K, the next heat filters in. And then I set up my rig, barbells, wall balls, et cetera, in a way, because look, if we have 16 person classes, I assume there's going to be a mix of men, women, and scale. So I bought appropriate equipment. Some boxes are open. It's too late for that. Now what do we do? So then I think you have to just play around with your program and you program to maximize the, uh, the effectiveness of logistics and your coaching. So what I mean by that is like, you don't necessarily want to put multiple, like wait, one way you could mitigate this is, is if I'm going to have a couplet or maybe even a triplet, maybe have one complex movement and then two simpler movements. So for instance, like at the level one, the day two workout is, can we talk about that? They know what it is. Sure. Yeah. So it's the day two. The day two workout is is an AMRAP eight minutes med ball clean for twenty reps and then twenty sit ups. So largely on the sit up, yes, you need to coach it, but it's more range of motion in the sit up. Largely, what I'm looking at is the med ball clean, or, or in this instance, whatever your barbell movement would be. So I really only need to be really dialed in on an athlete for fifty percent of the movement that they're going to be doing. So now I've kind of compress the amount of time I need to have eyes on and cue people. And we know they're going to get staggered out. So you're going to get some people that are doing sit-ups while other people are doing barbell movement. And now I can take that class of 15. And then really now what I'm doing is I'm really coaching eight athletes at a time, assuming that I'm going to have some staggers there in that eight minutes. So if you, let's say 15 was a high number for you, you can mitigate the number of athletes that you're actually coaching. And I put that in air quotes. And I mean like, physically in the act of seeing and correcting in half by putting in a workout that has a complex paired with a simpler movement that doesn't require nearly as much coaching. Yeah, and, and most of the classic CrossFit workouts do that. You know, whether you look at Fran or Diane, you know, take Fran, although you could always improve someone's pull-up, you know, it's, it's rare that the secondary movement is going to be as simple as a sit-up, right? But you as a coach, you decide, okay, and this is what I tell people at their level two as well. Like, let's take Fran. 
it's thrusters and pull-ups. Let's assume people are doing their pull-ups, right? They're either, you know, you're not improving them during that movement, but you're going to focus on the thruster. Now you've essentially, like you said, cut your class in half. And then what I would even tell people, and this is just kind of the next level there, I want you to only look for one thing in the thruster. You know, always we're always factoring safety. If someone's rounding their back, if someone looks like they're going to blow out their knees, we're going to change some things. But today on the thruster, all I want you to look for is timing. Are they pressing early out of the bottom? And now you've really, I mean, that's a step to just improve overall as a coach. That's kind of a little deeper than what we're discussing today. But yeah, you can, that's how you improve as a coach by knowing this is exactly what I'm looking for today. Yeah, and, and just to clarify, when we say simpler movement, I'm, I'm not suggesting that you don't coach the simpler movement. I'm simply saying that it is, it is lower risk and requires less of your attention in order to get good movement. So like an air squat. Highly unlikely somebody's going to injure themselves in an air squat. That doesn't, however, mean that I don't coach the air squat. Right? right. It just means low risk requires less time um, to do that. So that's what we're saying. You know, I want to pair something complex that has a little bit maybe higher risk, like a snatch or a clean and jerk or something like that, with something that's lower risk, like a burpee or a push up or a pull up or an air squat or something like that. <clears throat> so now, with all of that being said, some some crossed boxes have 20, 30 people in a class. How can a coach? effectively evaluate how many they are able to handle because there's there's no hard and fast rule and you know and it's different i tell you what like i used to be of the mindset when i had albany crossfit and had like 20 coaches on staff they were originally i'd say okay well you can coach these classes because they're smaller and then i got to the point where i was like and i don't maybe you agree or disagree i got to the point where i, I started thinking no, you can't be on staff unless you can handle the biggest class. Again, I, yeah, that, that should be the standard. I don't know if it's practical from the standpoint of you're trying to grow your team. <clears throat> but again, the, the way to assess that is a couple different things. You know, if you're doing a lesson plan, so if you haven't, uh, um, we're, DT is going to be, Denise Thomas is going to be on the show and we talk about lesson plans. So go, go listen to that when it comes up. But can you facilitate the lesson plan? That's the first thing. Can I hit those timelines? And then if you go back and listen to our episode about empathy, how much interaction are you having with each of the individuals with the class? So if you have a class of 15 and you do a really quick evaluation of the class that you just taught, I mean, like when a class is over and you high five everybody and they leave, do a quick check and try to ask yourself, how many people's names did I use in that class? If you, don't, if you had a class of 15 and you only said four people's names, that's in a, you're probably ineffective at that point. So those are just some real tangible things you, you could look at. Did I hit the timeline? Did I use people's names? Those are two metrics I can walk out of the class right there, and, and those are binary. That's a yes or no. Yeah, and I think you know, this goes back to something we said way back, and, and you have to film yourself coaching as well. And not be afraid. I don't know that we've ever said this on the show. Get another coach in your class or, or, or just to sit down and watch and have them keep track. You know, I would have them write down everyone's name. This is how we evaluate one another at the level two. Did you use everyone's name? How, how often did you use it? I would have a list of cues, verbal, visual, and tactile. How many are you using in there? 
And then like you said, are you sticking to the timeline? Because great, you said everybody's name, but your class ran 20 minutes over. That's not effective either. Exactly. Now, again, practical standpoint, like you might not be able to afford putting two class, two coaches on the floor. I get it. Now, there's a couple ways to mitigate that. The first one is you have, you can have some different pay rates for head coach, assistant coach. One way, not perfect by any stretch. The other way you can manage that is you generally know from an affiliate standpoint what your heaviest classes are. Yeah, I'd say most are either the early mornings or the you know evenings, 5 and 6 p.m. Yeah, so my 9 a.m. is always pretty heavy. Um, you don't have to have an assistant coach for every class. Maybe you only have an assistant coach for your peak hours. Now, if you don't want to have a coach, what you could do is you can just utilize some extra hands. If you have interns, put those interns on the floor, and now those interns, they may not have coaching responsibility, what they have is they have like logistics responsibility. They have safety responsibility. If you see something unsafe, fix it, resolve it, and then move on. If you see that we, I need help moving barbells and boxes, make sure that other people are not moving their equipment so that I can coach and that's your job. So that's two different ways that you could do that. One would be a paid uh, either employee or contractor. The other one would be just free hands for somebody who wants to intern and learn the process of coaching. Well, I'm just going to use some free labor there uh, and, and make the class run a little bit more efficiently. Yeah. And what I know we have on our plan how to effectively use an intern in a future episode, but that's important there too, because I I've always told, you know, my big takeaway about interns when I had them either for me or I would tell my coaches is get your interns to help with like the one or two people, you know, it's like the 80, 20 rule, 20% of your members are 80% of the work in a class, you know, so yeah. it's, it's Susie and Johnny that are always, what's this movement? How much should I use? Let your interns handle those two people and you get to focus on the rest of the class. But yes. like you, there's, no, there's no wrong way to do that. It's just like, did you effectively get it accomplished or not? So, so all of this being said, it really takes some evaluation on your own. And, and let's give some tangible things like you said. Did you use everyone's name? Now that might be hard to think about, but after class, what I do is I just think about, can I remember everybody in class? Because chances are, if I use their names, I remember who I coached. Um, I, I also, you know, this is something you can do to kind of help with that is just at the end of every class, walk around, high five them, tell them something they did well, tell them something, you know, you saw that they could work on, you know, keep your feet closer together next time we do pull-ups or Think about this in your thruster, but at least you're touching them. Even if it's a little late, it's better than not doing it at all. One other thing you could do there too is, uh, again, just to try to check that box. I mean, we want to try to do it because it's, it's natural, but if you're at the point where you're just trying to check the boxes, you know, do, the, do what we talked about in the previous episode about empathy. See if you can scan the group, write everybody's names down without forgetting. And then on the back end, when everybody's doing their cool down in the last, whatever it is, 10 to five minutes of the class and everybody's stretching, walk over to the whiteboard and then just call everybody's names and get their scores from them. That's just another way for you to do that um, and check that box. So let's kind of tie a bow on this because I think it's important. A lot of people that listen to our show are just coaches. They're not box owners. You know, so they're going to, they're going to have to deal with what they're dealing with box owners that, don't want to cap classes because it's money. And we agree, like we understand that. And then also boxes that program a lot, you know, more than one piece. We hear that all the time at, 
at seminars or we hear about it from the people that listen to the show. It's, it's hard to be an effective coach when you're having to shuffle people from part A to part B to part C. You, you can't do anything about that unless you're willing to change your box. So rather than just simply moan and groan about it, become a better coach. You know, have your lesson plan drawn out. And then once they're doing the movement, even if you don't have time to teach it, because there's just not enough time built into that class. So for example, we're doing a Fran and we, we set 10 minutes aside for it. But prior to Fran, your box decides to do a five rep max thruster. Sure, we don't have time to teach that thruster, but you still have time to see and correct that thruster and take advantage of that. And, and that's a really good point. So if you have a, a, like a head programmer or a box owner that is resistant, they're like, no, we're doing strength metcon, okay? So first thing I would tell you is, you know, don't argue with the ocean in the words of Adrian Bosman. But there are some things you can do. So the first thing is, you know, present a solution, which would be like, hey, cool. If you don't want to change it, I'm down, I'm in. Can we write the programming such that the heavy day is then used in the Metcon? The heavy day movement is used in the Metcon. That way I don't have to teach it or at, or at best I only have to teach one other movement, which we can try to make a little bit simpler as we go through. So that's just another way to you know, minimize the amount of time that you have to spend teaching multiple things in a class. You know, if it's a, if it's a clean and jerk day and then I'm going to go do Amanda afterwards, that's a nightmare. Right. I got to teach the clean and jerk, the snatch and the muscle up now versus if it was a heavy snatch first, we're only touching on the snatch that one time. Or if you're going to clean and jerk, then it would just be Elizabeth after, or sorry. Um, yeah. Elizabeth afterwards where it's just like a clean and a ring dip. You know, and then, what I would throw onto that though, from a coaching perspective is there's still little things you can do. So for example, it's 15 minutes to hit this. You can say, Hey, there's 15 people in my class. These five people, you're going to go on odd minutes. You're going to go on even minutes. So now at least I'm limiting how many people are moving at once. Or as soon as you get up to your heaviest weight or PR, I want to be able to see it. Those are types of things that I try to do just so I'm making a bigger class smaller, you know, so you can still take advantage and, and be smart about it and allow you to see more. Cause that's what it comes down to. You can't correct unless you see. Yeah. And heavy days, heavy days is a little bit easier, obviously, because I'm going to pair people up or even in groups of three. So let's say I had a class of 30. Now I've just got 10 groups. So I've, I've effectively made my class of 30, 10 people because only 10 people are going to be moving at one time. So there's a lot of different ways you can do that. You can stagger start if you're, if you're trying to mitigate class sizes and your class sizes are, are, are really big. But again, those, those three major factors there, like realistically, what's the max number of athletes you can put in your space based on square footage and the equipment that you're going to use. Everything else after that is kind of, it is a bit more variable, you know, like what does the programming look like? And then what is your coaching skill set as uh, as a coach, but you can do some things to mitigate both of those in order to put yourself at, a, at an advantage versus being at a disadvantage. Yeah. And, and just to kind of finalize all that you just said, you could also just be smart about it. If you, we know those are really the three things, space, equipment, and experience. Okay. Well, on the days that we have um, the most equipment being used, those are probably days we only do one workout. You know, or 
you know, if it's a, it's a, it's a day that has a lot, we keep the movements a little more simple. We know Mondays are our busiest days at the, you know, typically Monday, Tuesdays, and probably your Saturday morning classes are the busiest days. So let's program more simple workouts at those times. And the programming piece is, again, like you can really play around with this and it, it allows you to just sprinkle more variants in there and get, and get a little bit more creative. You brought up Fike on Bad earlier. I mean, a lot of people show up for that workout. That's a five-station workout. Here's what I would tell you. Not everybody needs their own station. If I have 25 people in a class, I have five setups for that thing, only five. And I'm going to run a Congo line through that because people are moving on a fixed time interval. So, you know, I can have six people in one fight gone bad layout where everybody's using the same box, everybody's using the same set of barbells, everybody's using the same rower. And they just, every minute, everybody shifts up one station, you know. And so there's a lot of ways to mitigate things like that from a coaching standpoint and really allow your eyes to see the most movement when you're on the floor coaching because that's our job. It's also a better experience for people and allows it to have the best hour of their day. Like if your class is a shit show and you never are not giving people attention, it's not the best hour of their day. And that's, that's our job. So our job means that we need to put in some forethought on the front, on the front end and look at that workout beforehand. What is, what is going to be my issue in this particular class and this particular workout and try to solve that problem before you show up. Absolutely. And lots of little subtopics that we're going to dive into on future episodes. But like Fern said, to kick it off, basically, if you're coaching more than 15 or 20 people, you should have a lot of experience under your belt. I'll tell you to this day, 20 people for me, that's probably about my limit to be effective. I've coached significantly larger classes. I'm talking about being effective. Um, and then if, if you are coaching that many, do you have an assistant? And if not, what are we doing to get better? But I would say when you first leave your level one, you're probably looking at you should be coaching two people, four people, slowly growing. And that's exactly what Coach Glassman did. He went from one to two to, to full classes. And that's how you get better at this. So hopefully these little tips helped. And, you know, we understand the frustration of being a coach out there in, in the CrossFit world these days. But if you can put some of these little things in there, you can be the best coach that you can be given your situation i like it i feel like that was good shit hey you know the the beauty of crossfit and all that we do is there's there's no right or wrong there's a lot of backlash these days in the crossfit world about hq should do this hq should do that we're affiliates we're not a franchise and the same people that are complaining about that are the same people that would be really pissed if crossfit was like hey by the way all equipment has to be pink and classes have to be at this time. And this is, you know, we don't want these regulations put upon us, which is why we love CrossFit, but it's also what causes this. And that's why Coach Glassman always says the cream will rise to the top. If you're doing this well, you will know it because your box will be thriving. Make it the best hour of their day. That's it. That's really all there is, Fern. So great. Hope that helped. Talking about class sizes, we're going to talk about a lot more of those little details and intricate things in future episodes we got some great stuff coming up for you but uh thanks again fern and uh we'll be back we'll be back on our next episode of best hour of their day thanks again for listening to best hour of their day take a moment head over to the apple podcast app or spotify or google or whatever you use 
and leave us a review. It really means a lot to us, and it's what allows us to spread the word. Also, share this with your friends, your family, your coworkers. Tell everybody at the box to listen to best hour of their day and let us know what we can do to provide you a better experience. Do you have topics you want us to talk about, people you want us to interview? We are here for you, the community. We're here to give back, and we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Best Hour of Their Day.